This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm Ruth Reeder, and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. Today at the Innovation Festival, we heard a lot about leadership, how companies can create cultures that foster inclusivity and goodwill, how policy and investment can build strong foundations, and how education and action can bring about lasting change. Senator Amy Klobuchar and investor Steve Case talked with Fast Company editorial director Jill Bernstein about helping founders in overlooked regions. About 75% of all venture funding only goes to three areas in the U.S., Jill starts by asking Steve how much of the problem is geographical and how much has to do with the kinds of companies venture capital is financing. Well, last year, over 90% of venture capital went to men, less than 10% to women, even though women represent half of our population. Last year, even though Black Americans represent about 14% of our population, Black entrepreneurs got less than 1% of venture capital. So this is a great entrepreneurial nation. I'm proud of it. But if you just look at the data, it does matter where you live. It does matter what you look like. It also kind of matters who you know, what school you went to. If you have an idea, you can you know, really have a shot at turning into a company. So we need to level the playing field more broadly. And we actually just announced that we're gonna do our next bus tour. We of course can't do it in a bus format, even though because of the pandemic, but in December, we're gonna do a virtual bus tour focused on equity, particularly focused on black entrepreneurs and, and do a, a million dollar pitch. The winner will get a million dollars uh, which is the largest pitch competition we've done to try to shine a spotlight on the uh, important uh, gap. And also we're gonna work with dozens of other venture firms to have them join us in, in this effort. So place matters, but people matters as well. We really need to make sure entrepreneurship is available to everybody everywhere. Jill asks how the pitch competition is going to work to ensure everyone has a fair chance. How do you keep that, you know, this, uh, this, this virtual tour you're doing, it's, it's all black founders, right? Right. How do you keep that from, I mean, how, how do you make sure that that really helps the founders and doesn't pit them against each other, you know, Hunger Games style for like only one person gets to win? That's only the Democratic primary that does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are, more, there are more folks in the Democratic primary that will be on the pitch stage probably. But no, we've been very careful about working with other partners, the Opportunity Hub, Rodney Sampson, who we've worked with for five years. We're also working with Morgan Stanley. They have a multicultural lab where they, where they an accelerator, and all the entrepreneurs will get the benefit of that. And I mentioned we'll have dozens of venture firms that will be listening to the pitches, but also have agreed to meet with the, with the entrepreneurs. So we want every entrepreneur that works with us to end up being a winner here, not just the one who wins the, the actual pitch competition. Senator Klobuchar also refers to Vice President Joe Biden's plan to help restore the economy. Yes, it's a pandemic focus, but the other focus is a business economic focus, and it's come through pretty well. I mean, remember, his theme is build back better. And that doesn't just mean building roads and bridges that we need. It's, it's about building our economy back. And uh, to me, that means through all of the um, horror of this pandemic, um, you literally, you have to look at what opportunities out of it do we have to spread this wealth and make sure that we're developing businesses uh, outside of those three major hubs and that we're including more people in that workforce, regardless of their where they grew up and what their zip code is and the color of their skin. Steve explains that the pandemic has exposed how a lot of people were never really part of the innovation economy. 
Yeah, the build back better, I think, is a, is a good good way to think of it, because I hear a lot from people saying about the pandemic, yeah, I can't wait to get back to normal. I don't think we want to get back to normal. Normal actually didn't work for a lot of people, a lot of places. They were being left out of the innovation economy. There, there we have an income inequality issue. We also have an opportunity inequality issue. So hopefully coming out of this, we can come up with a better approach to a more inclusive approach to, you know, capitalism, a, a fairer approach, uh, figuring out ways to be much more distributed in terms of capital backing different people in different places, therefore creating jobs and more hope in, in more places. There are a lot of people in this country, and the senator knows this better than anybody having run for president that are anxious about the future, are worried about the future, think the disruption we celebrate in a place like Silicon Valley is going to be bad for them, bad for their family, bad for the community, it's going to destroy jobs. Technology does that. That, you know, that is part of what disruption happens. That's not up for grabs. The question is, are we going to offset the jobs that are lost due to some of this technology by backing companies in these places that can create the jobs of the future in those places. That's where we need to have much more focus or this divide we have in this country, I fear, will just get even worse. Senator Klobuchar adds that we also need to be working on expanding our goodwill around the world. As we look at the changes that uh, Speaker Pelosi actually led to the USMCA that led to the fact it was a joint effort with the administration and with Republicans and Democrats uh, the passing of that bill and the potential we have, but not if everything is a divide, not if we have trade wars um, uh, that are unnecessary. And that again creates markets. Steve would know more about this than me, but it creates markets for us uh, to expand more jobs. Chip and Joanna Gaines are perhaps best known for their HGTV show Fixer Upper, where they remodel and design old homes. But the couple have been working together since 2003 when they opened up a shop in Waco, Texas. Chatting with Fast Company Editor-in-Chief Stephanie Meta, they explain how Magnolia Network has grown. I've always felt like it's been like this, this belief that dreams really do come true. And when you are talking about a team, when Chip says, hey guys, I want a restaurant, and all of us look at him and like, well, we've never done a restaurant. <laughs> or hey guys, I want to do a hotel. We all, what we've done together as a family here at Magnolia is said, let's figure it out. And I think in that's created this tight knit community where we really feel like family, we feel like comrades who just tackle things together. We aren't experts. We weren't experts in the restaurant business or in the bakery or in, but what we did was decide that we're open to it and we want to risk and we want to learn and we want to continue to evolve. So I feel like the culture here is that anything's possible and that it's going to be hard work, but it's doing work that really matters. Yeah, I love that. And I would just say, bottom line, Joe and I always, uh, whenever we relate to like, what's the secret of Joe and I's relationship? And I would say that over years, we kind of wrestled with that and wonder what it is. Is it that we like each other? Is it we enjoy each other? Is it we respect each other? And I think at the end of the day, Joe and I are kind to one another. I would almost argue, and we're not perfect in this context, so make no mistake, we're like everyone and that we uh, have, have, have our shortcomings. But generally speaking, we are kind to one another first, and then we're right, and we're adamant, and we're strong-willed, and all these other things, second, third, and fourth. And so I would say that one thing we've done a good job of as it relates to Magnolia and the culture that we have here is that we, we lead with kindness. Kindness is a very important fabric that, that I would say sort of is an undercurrent here at Magnolia. And when you're, when you're unkind, you don't fit. You don't fit, and it's quick 
that, that that becomes, it becomes clear quickly. And when you're kind and you lead with kindness, we have found that lots of great things can then uh, mature from that starting point. And uh, that's been a big, a big passion of Joe and I uh, as we built this is that we want people to have mutual kindness between one another that then eventually evolves into mutual respect. And then once you get that respect and the, and the lead with the kindness, boy, it's amazing what people are able to do together when they're really pulling in the same direction and working together as a team. Stephanie wants to know if they've ever had to sever ties with someone who didn't share their values of leading with kindness. Yeah, of course. And I uh, uh, would, 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 I wish that I could quickly say no to that, but, but I will say that kindness is an interesting fundamental value that I would say takes a minute to get acclimated to. And I think some people are just naturally drawn towards kindness and some people are naturally drawn towards the, the counter. And so for sure, there I have think been that examples. Sometimes that gets confused, okay. just the idea of kindness in and of itself. I think you think that means when you lead with kindness, it's everything is this thing with this cheer. I think kindness is also being um, direct and mm-hmm. being respectful. Sure. But I think sometimes that can be confused with with weakness or yeah. being passive or something. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, what we see around us are these amazing leaders um, with on our team that are very direct. They 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 are goal oriented. <laughs> they want to get the job done, but they're respectful and and they're kind. But I just think sometimes you can get lost in that word kindness. Sure, no, even with that. partners. And I'd say from the beginning when we partner with people, we really vet it out and we sit across the table and we say, hey, we can see this working. And I will say for the most part, all of our partners have really become like family. It becomes mm-hmm. this thing where the reason why we said yes to begin with, just like with Meredith and the magazine, is because when we sat around that table, yeah. we felt like they truly respected what we wanted. I respected what they grew. And so with that mutual respect, sure. I think you can really do great things together. But sorry, I wanted to just, sometimes <laughs> kindness, I feel is like, everyone be kind. Sure. I want to be kind to my kids, but I also want to teach them. And yeah. I also want to discipline them. And I also, you know, so there is this thing of, and in fairness, Joe's making a really good point. We've got a, a bunch of highly competitive people, and I would say Joe and I the worst of these. <laughs> and and so I don't make no mistake. I'm not talking about being a pushover or conceding to everything along the way because you don't want to come across as is uh, you know whatever. But I mean, I just mean even even at the end of a, a hard fought battle for you to go and shake hands yeah. and say well done or well great match or whatever the circumstances might be. That, that there's some element of that that is very important to yeah. us. But I appreciate that clarity because uh, make no mistake, we want to win. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty clear. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Economic inequality has always been a major issue in this country, but this year's racial justice movement has put it front and center. City CFO Mark Mason sat down with Fast Company senior writer Ainsley Harris to talk about creating institutional change and inspiring young people to become leaders. Here, Ainsley dives in by asking about City's commitment to financial equity. Let's start with the big announcement that City made just a few weeks ago around closing the racial wealth gap. And by big, I mean, we're talking billion dollar big. This is not window dressing. Why have you personally decided to speak out on issues of racial equity and racial justice in recent months? And why has City also decided to take a stand? Yeah, 
Look, uh, first of all, we're, we're very proud and excited about the announcement that, that we just made to really try and close the racial wealth gap. Um, it's, it's a big deal for our firm, and, and I think it, uh, it reflects the commitment that we're prepared to make and are looking forward to executing against. Uh, you know, this is, we're all living through interesting times, with, without question. Um, we're in the midst of a pandemic, a health crisis um, that has morphed into uh, an economic crisis of sorts and really has unveiled the underlying systemic racism that's existed in this country for far too long. And we've seen that evidenced with, uh, with the recent killings of, of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. And while these things have been going on for years, uh, there's, there's an indisputable reality um, that we've all, I think, experienced as many people sat at home and watched on TV um, you know, a police, police officer's murder, you know, a black man. Um, and, and that has had a, a startling impact um, on the country, I would say. And, and frankly, uh, it impacted me in a significant way as I watched that with my wife um, and my children. And we talked about it. We talked about how do we use our voices? How do we use our platforms um, to reach out and really try and, try and drive change? Uh, and, and I was challenged by, uh, by my kids uh, to, to use my platform, uh, and, and, uh, and, and I wanted to do that, and I did that. And um, I'm, I'm very glad that I took the opportunity to speak out. Um, I was very uh, pleased with the response that I received internally and externally. Um, we're in 98 countries. Um, I had hundreds of employees from around the world um, email in and... and, and they everything from um, I didn't know to um, I want to learn more to how can I help? What can we do? Right. And and uh, in many ways, city um, has tried to take an approach and I've pushed for an approach um, where we build awareness of the issue. Uh, and that's a big, important first step. Uh, we then educate, because I think without stepping back and understanding the historical context for how we got here as a country, as a company, as an industry, without understanding that, it's hard to drive change, sustainable change, change that exists once Mark Mason is long and gone from the firm. And, and the last bucket is action, action. And you need all three. You need awareness, education, and action. And, and, um, and I think it's, the, it's that, that, that set of lenses that, that help to push us as an organization to where we are with this, with this billion-dollar strategic initiative. Um, and I think the employees um, came together around it. What's, what's really unique about this is it's not, just, it's not another philanthropic effort. Those yeah. are important. We do those. We have to keep doing those. But this is an effort that's, that's rooted in the business activity that we do. Mm. And so the people that, that came together as a committee to really put this together were people who run businesses in our consumer business, in our institutional client business, people from our treasury organization, people from our private bank. These are people that, that came together and really said, how do we actually leverage the business that we do today to really try and drive change and close this racial wealth gap. And I think that's powerful.
Like many organizations, the majority of city's employees are millennials now. Surveys show that priorities and values differ from prior generations. Ainsley asks Mark how a big global bank can create a culture that's inclusive and attractive to the next generation of leaders. They want to see uh, and hear and know what a company believes in. They want to be able to sense the soul of what a company stands for. And I think actions like the action we took uh, just a number of weeks back with this billion dollar commitment are important. Uh, But I also think very candid conversations with employees between senior management and employees are also important, particularly at times like this, particularly for the nature of the crisis that we're facing right now. And so I I think, um, you know, that's what makes a company come alive, that willingness to engage and talk about the tough topics, that willingness to to develop a plan that on on how we address the issues, that willingness to engage the entire organization top to bottom in really trying to execute on that, I think are things that that our youth are looking for. Uh, and, And I think a platform where employees are comfortable being vocal and speaking out and can do that without... Uh, without negative consequences, helps to to reflect the type of environment that we want. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us at the festival this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ruth Reader. Ruth Reader.